Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We talk to clergy and laity, uh, people who founded and run apostolates, composers, artists, writers, musicians, missionaries. All of them share their enthusiasm for the Catholic faith and their love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, my guest is Kelly Walquist. Kelly is the assistant director of Archbishop Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute in St. Paul, and she is also involved as a speaker, a writer. She has a book coming out next year called Created to Relate by Servant Books. She's involved in women's ministries. She's involved in starting a new apostolate to bring the faith alive for women. She's all over the social media and all over the place spreading the good news with a wonderful smile and a wonderful cheerfulness, and Kelly is my guest here today. Welcome to More Christianity, Kelly. Oh, wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thanks for the great introduction. I'm going to have to have my husband listen to that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> you say, oh, who's that he's talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you are doing a great work. We first met at a Catholic leadership conference a few years ago, and, and at that time you were working with Father Michael Gately, who does such a great work to spread the divine mercy devotion. You're working now, though, in the area of women's ministry and in catechesis. What do you find to be the most challenging and also the most rewarding aspect of catechesis? Well, I would say that probably the most challenging is getting people to really fall in love with their faith if you go at them catechetically, if you can say that. What I see being just wonderful is when you when you meet women, I'll say particularly because that's who I speak to mostly in, in when I'm out at conferences, but when you meet them in their need and in their pain and you show them the joy in your heart and the joy that you have with your relationship with the Lord, that is the most rewarding. That's where, that's where they want to be. They want to be invited into something like that. When people see the joy that you have, they're instantly drawn, and they think, what has that person got? How do I get that? Right. So I think in the, in the past few years, as Catholics, we've kind of tried to bring people in through their head. <laughs> and right now I'm thinking, we need to, I'm not, not just me, look at the Holy Father, but we need to bring people in through their heart and really reach them heart to heart. In fact, that's a wonderful saying. I think it's the motto of Blessed John Henry Newman, cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. And you, you talk about the joy that a person has, which is attractive to another person. Pope Francis has been criticized by some because he says proselytism is a solemn nonsense. And he's quoting Pope Benedict, who actually said the same thing. Instead, we're there to attract others to Christ. Do you have any thoughts about that little controversy that's going on where people are critical of Pope Francis, who says proselytism is solemn nonsense? Actually, I love Pope Francis. I love what he's, he's doing, and I love Pope Benedict as well. But I love what he's doing by showing, by showing his heart and, and really leading by example. And I think he's right on. I mean, we, we can put up our, our barriers, and we can come at people in their head, and we can tell them why we're right and why they're wrong, but that's never going to unite us. That's never going to bring people to Christ. It's when you show them you know, this light that is so lovely that they can't help but want to know the source of it. And that light is Christ in you. That, I think that's the key to, to all evangelization. And I love that Pope Francis, even as he comes on and he writes the um, apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel. I was ecstatic. I was so happy when I saw that for three years, I was out speaking on that, you know, speaking on the joy of, of living the new evangelization. And it was kind of funny because I'd speak on like a Saturday, he'd speak on a Wednesday, and I'd get emails from people saying, hey, the Pope is stealing your stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think he's stealing my stuff. I think I'm probably stealing his stuff. I'm stealing, stealing a, what the Lord has given us. And that is really that we can draw people to him through 
love and through compassion and through tenderness. And I, I really, I love watching everything that Pope Francis is doing right now. That he ruffles some feathers too. That's good. We need to be awakened at times. So you love Pope Francis's preaching by example, if that's one, one way to put it. What I love too also about this, Kelly, is the fullness of the Catholic faith. You know, if our faith consisted of nothing but those heart moments of showing the faith by embracing an ugly person or washing the feet of the poor and doing all these gestures and living in a simple place and loving the people, if that's all it was, then the Christian faith would, I have to admit, be, well, just a little bit too sentimental and sappy for me. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. But you see, Pope Francis comes directly after Pope Benedict, who is this wonderful world-class theologian who was clear and in his teaching and gentle and profound expressing the fullness of our Catholic faith in uh, wonderful theological terms. And here comes Pope Francis. Really, they're almost like those two saints, Benedict and Francis themselves, one an introvert, one an extrovert, or so it would seem, expressing the fullness of the Catholic faith. And so when people criticize Pope Francis, I say, well, hang on, you have to look at the whole of the Catholic faith, not just one pope, not just one person, not just one saint, because it's in looking at the whole thing that we experience that fullness. Now, Kelly, you speak to women's conferences around the country. You're writing a book about women's ministry, Created to Relate, and a large part of your ministry is helping Catholic women to find their way to a deeper relationship with our Lord through prayer, through a knowledge of their faith, through catechesis. And it seems to me that in our current society, this is one of the areas where there's an awful lot of confusion talking about, you know, are there seven genders or 17 genders and all this sort of thing. And a lot of confusion amongst young men and women about their roles as men and women, as husbands and fathers and mothers and and daughters and sons. Is this one of the things that you find in your work, that there is actually a fair bit of upheaval and confusion and a kind of problem with this area of, of our humanity? Oh, absolutely. I find it in my work. I find it even at my dinner table, hearing my kids talk about different things at school. There is such a confusion, and I believe that as women... It has happened to men, too, but we've been lied to by society about our role and about our dignity. And that lie has really degraded us into believing something that's lesser than what we truly, truly are. I think that I see a lot of confusion in my job. I see a lot of confusion in my house. When you have teenagers who are confused and they, you know, they go to school and someone doesn't even know what gender they are, it's hard. It's hard as a parent. And so when I'm out speaking to women, this is a topic that is, key. That is key to to really let women know the truth about their dignity and that they've been created in the image and likeness of God. And they are equal, equal to men, complement men beautifully, absolutely beautiful. But at the same time, they're different. There's a beautiful, beautiful complementarity to men and women, and it's in their differences that it really shines, I think. And so you would say that uh, men and women have been created equal in God's image, but there's a complementarity there. And to equate the two and make them not just equal but the same is degrading and destructive to both men and women. Is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I think once women understand the role for which they've been created and they see the beauty and the dignity in it, there's a whole world that opens up for them, a whole world that opens up for them. One of the things I speak about when I'm out talking is about that role of women and looking back at the creation story of Adam and Eve. And in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, we see that God creates Adam and he creates him from dust. He he creates him from matter, actualized matter, which is good. In fact, God said it's very, very good. 
and God breathes life into Adam, and Adam awakens. And aside from God, Adam's first reality, his first orientation is to the garden. It's to work. It's to work and guard the garden. Instantly, Adam is now in charge of naming animals. He's got dominion over them. And then we see where God takes Adam's rib, and he creates, or he builds, the word in Hebrew is actually he builds, he builds Eve from Adam's rib, and she awakens, and of course she's, her first sight is God, and he walks her to Adam. So Eve's first reality, her first orientation is him, it's Adam. It's to relationship, and it's to be a helper. And in Hebrew, the word in, in scripture is a divine helper. It's not just any helper, not that she's subservient, not that she's less than, but she's a divine helper. And when I was thinking of that and praying about that, I just thought, oh my goodness, imagine what a great role that is to be a divine helper. If we are all, all of us, men and women are created in relationship, we're created in the relationship of the Trinity and we created for that relationship, how beautiful then to think that as a woman, my role is a divine helper is to help to bring another person back into that beautiful relationship that is the Blessed Trinity. So I think that just even seeing maybe some aspects like that and saying to women, what you've been created for is incredible, and it's, it's so beautiful and so important, and the gifts that God has given you as a woman are so powerful. They're so powerful, and when you understand them and you use them and you live in your gifts, Kelly, I can hear some feminists out there being not real happy with what you've just said because you're basically saying that the woman's orientation is towards the man and towards being a helper. And they cannot help but see that as the subservience of women and the degradation of women. I can remember G.K. Chesterton writing, this would have been back in the 20s and 30s of the last century, where the women's movement was beginning to grow even then. And he observed that one of the problems is that The woman's place is in the home, but so is the man's place. Mm -hmm. And he said that one of the problems with women wanting to have this career outside of the home and this life outside of the home, which was interesting and stimulating and much more rewarding than just looking after children, was that the men had lost, first of all, their proper orientation and that for the family to succeed, it's the man and the woman whose proper orientation is towards the home, towards the love of the home, to the domestic church, to the family, to the children. And should the man's proper orientation be there, then the woman's will be as well, and that will build a truly happy home and and true happiness. I I remember being brought up in an evangelical Protestant home in Pennsylvania. This was in the 60s and 70s. My dad was a good Christian man, a deacon in the local church and Sunday school teacher and all the rest. And he made it quite clear that he ran his business. He had his own men's clothing store and earned as much money as he could because he was doing it for us. He was doing it for the family. It wasn't just to make money and be a Mr. Successful <laughs> Businessman. Right. He's, and he's win- providing. He's protecting and guarding and working for his family. It's beautiful. And his whole orientation was to the church and to the family. My mother, who was a traditional homemaker, she felt rewarded and gratified and and affirmed in her role because that was his role too. And when he came home at night, as so many dads did in that era, and supper was ready, she didn't feel degraded and he didn't feel like he was degrading her because together they were coming in for a landing. They were coming in and saying, here's the day is over. This is what we're really here for. 
for this family, for these children, for the love of the Lord, and so forth. This is a great example in my life, and I remember that. And I see so many people confused about their roles today. And I can't help but feel that the destruction of this traditional home pattern has not really brought any happiness to very many people. I see that unhappiness all around me. You must see it as well in your work with women. I'm talking with Kelly Walquist today. She is the assistant director at the Archbishop Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute in St. Paul, Minnesota. And she's also active as a speaker, a writer, and uh, especially on women's issues in the Catholic Church. Kelly, we're talking a little bit about feminism and some of the destructive effects that has had on, on the Christian home. Do you think that it's actually more than that? Do you feel that feminism is basically at heart a good movement, which has helped a lot of women? Or do you think that it's really 100% out the window, no good, anti-Christian? Well, no, I think that there is good. I mean, there can always be good in, in anything. I think it has been a little derailed. I think what usually ends up derailing us is most likely a misunderstanding or miscomprehension. And with the feminist aspect there, because like you said earlier, Father, where you said, oh, they'd be upset because you're saying that the role of the woman is something that's subservient, which, of course, I, I'm not saying at all. I am saying there's a beautiful equality, male and female, he made them, right? We are created equal. But I think what gets misunderstood is the sense of power or authority. They think that that authority comes with lording over people, with having the ability to tell someone what to do with having this power. And when we look at even Scripture, there's no greater authority than the Lord, than Christ, and there's no more humble servant than Him. And for women, when we're in our role, and if you've been created as a divine helper, and you've been created for relationship, and just as Adam was created for relationship as well, for relationship with Eve. And, we t- and you talked about the domestic family. When you're in that and you're living that, that's where you find your peace and joy. But you have to understand what it is and what true authority is. I guess I look at the Blessed Mother. You know, I think of uh, the wedding in Cana where she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I have to tell you, Father, if I were one of the servants sitting there and I didn't know Mary, and I didn't know Jesus, and she came up to me and said, do whatever he tells you. I would have been like, yes, ma'am, absolutely. You know, it, those, are some, those are some pretty authoritative words. But the reason I believe that they hold so much authority is because they're said with the greatest of humility. They're said with such great humility from the Blessed Mother. At that moment, I think she was probably thinking about the needs of other people. And if you think of Mary at that time, her humanistic reaction would have been one of nurturing and caring and compassion for the couple or for the families. You know, just as, as a mother, I'd be like, oh my goodness, I don't, I, I don't want them to be embarrassed. You know, it's because she kind of meets that human need. But then there's another level there. And that is that when she says that, it's almost the start of Jesus's public ministry. She's had him home for 30 years. And yet she knows, saying these words, do whatever he tells you, he's going to start, and he's going to start doing the work of his his father even more. And perhaps those 30 years, she's going to now have to let go of and watch him go on his own and maybe feel those swords that Simeon said would pierce her heart because of that. And for her to say that is such, such humility. It's almost like another fiat. I mean, it's almost like she's saying, be it done unto me according to your word, God. Be it done unto me according to your will. 
but it, because she's letting go of him. And so I think when we can see that if we live in our gifts as women, and if we surrender to the will of God, then that's where the joy and the peace comes from, and that's where true authority resides. There's an authority not vested in the man because he's the man. There's the authority that comes with humility and with submission to that greater authority, which is in the Lord. Kelly Walquist is my guest today on More Christianity. I just want to take a moment and remind our listeners that they would like to be in touch with me, Father Dwight Longenecker. Go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. You can browse my books. You can be in touch, follow my blog and my Twitter feed, and learn more about the Catholic faith and my own faith journey from evangelicalism in the Anglican Church through to priesthood in the Catholic Church. Kelly's my guest today, talking about women's ministry in the Catholic Church. Now, here's a hot topic for you, Kelly. Um, There is the movement for the ordination of women in the Catholic Church, and there are some women out there who are claiming that they're called by God to the priesthood. They claim to have been ordained by a secret Catholic bishop, someone who's not letting his identity be be known, and they're now going on and creating themselves as bishops and ordaining more women as Catholic priests. What's your take on that? Are women called to the priesthood in the Catholic Church, or is this something which, in time, the Catholic Church will eventually get around to and get up to date with? always kind of baffles me. It just baffles me. The fact, when you think about it, in all of society, so few men, so few men are called to the priesthood. You know, as more men are called to be doctors or, you know, or have that passion to go and be a lawyer or whatever, so few men are called to be priests that it it kind of baffles me that all of a sudden women in droves. I don't think so. I don't think women are called to the Catholic priesthood. I think that is something that is instituted by Christ and that it is for men. I think that our society has kind of influenced women so that they think they have to be exactly like men. And that's where this is coming from. It baffles me at times because so few men in all of society are called to a priesthood. And then to see all these women fighting for this, they're saying, uh, this is my right. And a calling isn't a right. (laughs) A calling isn't a right. A calling is a, a word from God that's telling you where you need to go. I do not think that in in the future in the Catholic Church women will be priests. And again, I don't believe they need to be. I don't believe that's my role. I don't believe my role is to be a priest. In my baptism, I'm prophet, priest, and king, but I don't believe that that's my role. I believe my role is that of of a divine helper. And I'm confident in that. If I can help my priest, I am I am confident. I can remember one Methodist who was getting interested in Catholicism. And he came to the Catholic priest and wanted to have some ashes for Ash Wednesday. He thought that was a great idea. And then he said, well, where do you get the ashes from? And the Catholic priest said, well, we get the ashes for Ash Wednesday by burning the palms from Palm Sunday the year before. And the Methodist said, gosh, all this Catholic stuff is connected. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and in fact, the ideas about women's ordination are connected with, with everything else. They're connected back with the principles that you've spoken about about the proper and uh, biological and sociological roles of women and men as they were created from the very beginning. And that, therefore, connects in with what we believe about marriage, what we believe about the human person, what we believe about Jesus Christ, what we believe about his blessed mother, what we believe about St. Joseph and the Holy Family. Everything is connected. And so when you begin picking at one thread, it's not long before the whole thing unravels. That's why the Holy Father, Francis, has said the door is closed to women's ordination. He's reaffirming what Mm -hmm. Pope John Paul II had already stated 
when he said that the Catholic Church does not have the authority to ordain women priests. He was restating and reaffirming what Pope Paul VI had stated in the 1970s, explaining all the reasons why women cannot be called to the sacred priesthood. And all of these teachings from the popes have echoed down to us over the last 50 years or so, and yet still we find that there are Catholic women and Catholic men who are saying, well, before too long, the Catholic Church will get up to date and and there will be women priests. And I can't help thinking that, as you've said, Kelly, that a lot of this is driven by a feminist agenda. Um, It's driven by a, a kind of secularism in the church. If the women are not called to the priesthood, as the popes have reaffirmed uh, according to to Scripture and tradition. Can you help us then on this thorny question of what ministries are women called to in the church? Because let's face it, women have the smarts, they have the hard work, they have the energy, they have the zeal, they have the love for the Lord. They have from the beginning with Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene and the other holy women surrounding our Lord. What are the specific roles for women in modern society women who have now a high level of education and who have the zeal and the energy to serve the Lord. What are some of the roles that you see that are developing for women in the Church today? Well, you know, first of all, I'm going to answer your question in the, in kind of in the way that we are called to do the same thing as the man is called to do. We are, we are all given that same great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The way in which we do it can be different. I like what Pope Francis said about women making an uh, indispensable contribution to society through their sensitivity and their intuition and their distinctive skill sets that they, more than men, tend to possess. And I, I think that that really shows roles. And I do really believe that we've been called to do the same thing, and that is to, to evangelize. And there are so many different ways in which we can do that, in which we can share the gospel and to share the good news of Christ. Thank you. Kelly Walkus is my guest today on More Christianity. Perhaps I ought to just take a moment and clarify the Catholic Church's teachings about women's ordination. They're not very popular, I'm afraid, in the Western world, and the developed world, but the teaching has been formulated and finally defined as an infallible dogma by Pope St. John Paul II. He issued an apostolic letter on the 22nd of May, 1994. And he explained the reasons why the Catholic Church cannot ordain women as priests. It's interesting, by the way, that in May 1994, was just a few months after the vote, the first ordinations of women into the Church of England. And so the Pope was clarifying this for Christians, especially in the English-speaking world. And the letter concludes with these words. This is Pope St. John Paul II writing, "...in order that all doubt may be removed regarding a matter of great importance," a matter which pertains to church divine constitution itself, in virtue of our ministry of confirming the brethren, we declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. Well, it couldn't be much clearer than that. Nevertheless, various Catholics have asked for further clarification, and it was Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, as he then was, who went back and said, yes, this is actually what we call infallible teaching. In other words, it's definitive teaching. As Pope John Paul II said, it must be held definitively by all the faithful. Now, this wasn't just John Paul II who uh, decided that he didn't like the idea of women's ordination. His teaching was actually rooted in an early encyclical by Pope Paul VI, which came out in the 1970s. That encyclical is Inter Insignioris, and it explains in more detail why the Catholic Church does not have the authority to ordain women as priests. 
someone has explained it like this. In the Catholic Church, a sacrament has matter and it has form. And the matter is the physical stuff of the sacrament. So, for instance, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, the bread and the wine is the matter of the sacrament. That can't be changed. You can't have Coca-Cola and chips and use that for Eucharist. Okay? You can't have uh, corn chips and, and uh, Pepsi. Uh, you, you have to use bread and wine. And likewise, the church does not have the authority to change that. And the Pope has basically said it's the same with ordination. Ordination of the priesthood, you have to have a man. That's who the Lord chose. We don't have the authority to change it, even for good or supposedly good social reasons. So the teaching of the Catholic Church on women's ordination is clear. And John Paul II, in his pastoral letter on priestly ordination, uh, said clearly, we declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. Kelly Walkus is my guest today on More Christianity. She's the assistant director of the Archbishop Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute. She's launching a new women's ministry later this year, and she has a book coming out published by Servant Publications called Created to Relate. Kelly, you've given us an awful lot to think about about women's ministry in the Catholic Church today. I might also add from what you've said that the basic core calling is to stand by the Sea of Galilee and hear our Lord say, come and follow me. Leave your nets and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of women. And and we're there to actually reach out, to live the gospel, to radiate the gospel of joy to those who are in need. And if anybody needs any examples, we look around in the modern day and we see Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. We see Mother Angelica, a founder of what becomes an international Catholic media empire. You know, we see all the great saints down through the ages. When we look at the American saints, for instance, the majority of them are women, not men. We think of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. We think of Mother Cabrini. We think of uh, St. Kateri Tekakwitha, the Native American saint. So down through history, God has not been mean in his distribution of saints amongst women and men. And very often it's those great women saints, doctors of the church like Teresa of Avila and Teresa of Lisieux and others who have held their own and been radiant witnesses to the love of Christ in the world. I think the answer at the end, Kelly, then you would agree with me, is that men or women alike makes no difference, that when we draw closer to our Lord Jesus Christ, we find our true fulfillment as men and our true fulfillment of women and our true fulfillment of ourselves. Thank you, Kelly Walquist, for being my guest today. You've been listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker.